Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we are currently going through the Gospel of Mark Sunday mornings. As a church, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from the start of a book of the Bible to the end of that book. And we've seen uh, in Mark this focus really on Jesus as a doer, Jesus as a, as a worker, as the servant of God. Um, some people refer to the Gospel of Mark as the Gospel of Action. And it's like Jesus is a man of action. The, the, do you remember what the key word is, one of the key words that is found throughout the Gospel of Mark? Immediately, because there's always something that is happening. It's fast-paced, it's quick-moving, and there's so much of a focus on the action that very often, it's interesting, but in the Gospel of Mark, Mark just tells us, and, when, and Jesus went and taught. But he doesn't tell us what Jesus taught. Have you noticed that? We don't actually have a lot. We haven't seen a lot of what Jesus actually said so far in the Gospel of Mark, just a lot that he was healing people and casting out demons and all these different things that were going on. Well, this morning that changes because we're going to begin chapter four this morning, and Mark tells us some of what Jesus taught. He's going to begin for us some parables, parables about the kingdom of God. And the first one that we're going to look at this morning is the parable of the sower and the soils. Now, how many of you are gardeners? Are there any gardeners out there? Mark, you should have your hand up. You're a farmer. You better be a gardener. We buy some of your food sometimes. Come on. <laughs> right, some of you are gardeners. How many of you are like, a, you got a green thumb. You can make anything grow. It's like my mom. We kill everything and then we give it to her and she brings it back to life. <laughs> I have a black thumb or I have no thumbs actually when it comes to gardening. I, I, I'm horrible at gardening. That's all I'm going to say. This morning we are going to get some gardening tips, thankfully. Um, but they're not gardening tips really for nature. They're gardening tips for life, for the soil of our hearts. And so this morning, if, if there's, there's Bibles all around you, it'll help you if you follow along in a Bible. Um, Mark chapter 4 we're going to begin at verse 1, and we're going to go through to verse 20. So there are Bibles in the, under the seats around you. Grab a Bible. It's going to make it easier to find. Um, turn in those Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. It's going to be near the back of that book. Um, you're going to hit Matthew or Luke or John. You're right in the right area. It's actually page 839 if you're using the Bibles in the seats because it's the same one as mine, most of them. So Mark 4, 1 to 20. Let's dig in this morning. Anyone catch that? Yeah, you like that? We're going to dig in. We're talking about some gardening. We're going to dig in. So why don't we pray before, uh, before we look at the parable of the sower and the soils. Father, this morning, um, Lord, we invite you to come and to speak. We invite you to be our teacher this morning. Lord, I know that Peter is going to teach some things, but ultimately, uh, we want you to be the one that is leading and guiding this time. I thank you that it's not my word, it's your word. And I pray, God, that as we look at this very familiar, for probably most of us in this room, 
this parable about the sower and the soils, that God, um, our hearts would be open to receive. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive what you want to teach us today. May your word change and transform our lives, I pray. In your name, amen. All right, number one, the first thing we are going to see in our text is a parable. So let's begin chapter four of the Gospel of Mark, beginning in verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. If you were with us a few weeks back, you'd remember that great crowds were coming to Jesus now, we're told, from all over Right? So many, they were coming for healing. They were coming to be, to be delivered of demons. In fact, originally there was hundreds that would be gathering in a home. Homes would be overflowing with people. And then the, a few weeks ago, we saw that homes couldn't contain them anymore to the point that large crowds, commentators think thousands, upwards of tens of thousands of people were now gathering to come and to be near Jesus, to receive something from him. And if you remember a few weeks back, we saw how he had to have a getaway boat. Do you remember that? The crowds were so intense, they were pressing upon them. The the Greek says that they were literally falling upon him just that they might be healed or delivered of something to the point where he was almost getting crushed. They needed crowd control. And so they had a getaway boat, boat that was set up in the water. Well, here we see now that there's a large crowd again and Jesus, in a sense, uses this getaway boat to teach from. That's what he does. He gets into the boat and he begins to teach them. In fact, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus sat in the boat to teach and the people, meanwhile, stood on the shore to listen and to learn. This is, a re- I think, a really good idea. I get to sit, and you guys get to stand. I was thinking about that this week. I, number one, if we want to be biblical, <laughs> we want to be a really biblically-based church. Do we not? Yeah, do, hello? Do we? Yes, we do, yes. Okay, we want to be a biblically-based church. The teacher sat. This, the, the people stood. You know what else I thought about? This would completely solve our our two services problem. If we removed all the chairs and everyone just stood, you could fit everyone into one service. This would be fabulous. So I thought, we're going to do a congregational vote right now. It's on the record. It's on camera. How many of you you feel that we should remove all the chairs and you guys all stand and I sit? One person? What? That's a fail right there. Okay, that won't happen. Never mind. Strike it from the record. I did ask for the boat. You're right. <laughs> I never should have. But, but we see here, you know, um, why was he doing this? Why was Jesus sitting in a boat and the people standing on the shore? Well, because how many of you have ever gone camping and maybe people have been out in a boat or canoeing on the water? Have you, you ever witnessed this? And you can actually sometimes almost hear conversations in that boat. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because sound travels across water so easily. And so what he's doing is he's creating a way for his voice to be heard for the crowds. There's thousands of people standing there. So he gets into the boat and he begins to teach is what he does. And look at verse two now. And as he was teaching them many things in parables, uh, uh, and as he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them. So let's just stop there. Jesus is teaching. And the first thing he's, Mark tells us that he's not just teaching, but he's using a particular style of teaching. He's using parables. Now the word parable literally means this to cast alongside. That's what it literally means. It's basically taking a spiritual truth and putting it alongside a familiar earthly picture or story. That's what a parable is doing. It's kind of like an illustration in a sermon, right? And every preacher, and definitely every congregation member knows the value of an illustration. 
right? You all do, because I often, hey, believe me, I see all of you. No matter how bright these lights are, I can still see your eyes. Right? You know, as I'm trying to teach you and the heads are bobbing, you know. But, and I've, I've seen it before and I'll be like, oh Lord, please, where's that illustration coming? Because, because I know once that illustration shows up, what's going to happen? If, as soon as I begin to share a story from my life or from the news or what's going on in the world, people perk up and they begin to listen, right? The heads stop bobbing. It's like my, my mouth, my words, my voice has some in, incredible ability of putting people to sleep. And so the value of it, in fact, Brandon, didn't you, didn't you used to go to sleep listening to my sermons? I think he would. He used to like listen to like... Oh, that's between us, sorry. Well, you told me. He's like, he's like, oh yeah, I've been listening to, I think it was Daniel, the book of Daniel or something. He's like, I've been going to sleep with it at night. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not a real good thing. So now it's like my voice naturally puts Brandon to sleep, I think. Anyway, an illustration is a powerful tool because it can help keep things together, but it also can tie together the, the story of, of a spiritual truth with an earthly reality. And that's what a parable does. However, illustrations can sometimes backfire too. They maybe aren't always used the best way. Um, you know, if you think about sometimes they just don't line up at all with what the, the person's even talking about. I actually, I actually heard about some of the worst analogies that English teachers have ever seen from high school essays. Here, here's a few. His thoughts tumbled in his head, making and breaking alliances like underpants in a dryer without cling free. Here's another great one. Her hair glistened in the rain like nose hair after a sneeze. <laughs> yeah, all of you are like, ugh, but you got the picture, didn't you? You got it. You, that was well illustrated. You can see the snot kind of dripping on it. How about this final one here? The little boat gently drifted across the pond exactly the way a bowling ball wouldn't. So sometimes illustrations can backfire. Sometimes they don't totally work. However, Jesus was a master at telling illustrations. He was a master storyteller and a master at using parables, as we're going to see here. So let's look at the actual parable. Verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. That is the parable of the sower and the soils. Jesus is actually going to fully explain the meaning of this parable in actually just a few verses. So we're actually going to leave the parable for now. We're not going to explain it all right now, but I want you to notice what Jesus says next in verse 9. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What is he saying? What is he saying? Is, it, is he saying it's possible that there were some people there that didn't have any ears? Right? I mean, I did, you don't, don't forget a few weeks back, we talked about leprosy, and I've, apparently I went into a little too much detail with the leprosy, but, but you know how it rots away the appendages on our face and, all, like, and our fingers and toes, right? And, and so perhaps, is that what he's saying? Maybe there's some people in his audience there that had leprosy and their ears were gone? Is that, that's not what he's saying. What is he saying here? He's saying it's possible to hear, but not hear. Do you know what I'm saying? Let me put it this way. I'll use an illustration. How many of you have children? How many of you have a husband? 
You know exactly what I'm talking about then when, when I say it's possible to hear, but not hear. <laughs> That's what Jesus is getting at. It's very possible that you could hear what he says, but not really get or hear what he says. And this is why Jesus used parables. As we see, secondly, a parable on purpose. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Now, this is kind of crazy, but Jesus is essentially here splitting up into two teams. There's insiders and there's outsiders. That's what he just said. Those on the outside, they don't get it. It's spoken to them in parables. He says only the insiders get to know the secrets, or other translations would use the word mysteries, of the kingdom of God. And now when you hear the Bible use the word secret or mystery, don't think of it as like a whodunit, kind of like a escape room kind of thing that you gotta figure out. Mysteries, in the Bible, mysteries or secrets of God are things that can only be revealed by God. It doesn't matter how much you search or seek, unless God reveals it, it cannot be known. That's what it speaks about in the Bible. It's kind of like a password. And so he says here that the purpose of parables was actually to teach spiritual truths, but also to hide them, to teach spiritual truths, but also to hide them. In fact, parables reveal to those that truly want to know, but they conceal to those that don't, that really don't have any interest in really knowing what Jesus is talking about. Um, they reveal and they conceal, which you hear that and you go, well, the insiders, the outsiders, revealing, concealing, this seems a little bit unfair, right? I mean, only the insiders get the revelation, but I want you to notice that the insiders were not only the 12 disciples. That's sometimes what we think, that this is only the 12 that got to know this. But look again at what verse 10 says. It says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. This is not just the 12 disciples. This is not some exclusive insiders only club. If you wanted to really know, if you really wanted to know, if your heart was like, I genuinely want to know what Jesus is talking about, you could have that revelation. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like if you came up, if you heard him explaining it to, to the disciples and the others that were listening, and you came up to go, I want to know what he's really talking about. He wouldn't be like, all of a sudden see you join and be like, 11, 12, 13. Hey, hey you, you with the funny hair. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you, beat it. This is a private conversation. Well, actually, you can stay around. You don't, you don't have to leave. Here's an example. But do you know what I'm saying? Like he would not just, like he's saying it was open to everybody. It was open to everybody. If you wanted a promotion from an outsider to an insider, you just had to gather around. And we need to remember one of the reasons Jesus did this was because we've already seen this, some of the crowds that were coming to listen to him teach. You know that in that crowd was a, a very vast mix of people. There were people in that crowd that, that, that were basically people that, that hated Jesus. Do you remember that? There were some that hated him. There were some that adored him. And there were some that actually followed him. We learned this a few weeks back. There were some that hated Jesus to the point they were the religious leaders, that they were trying to trap him in anything that he would say so that they could somehow find a way to, to kill him, to crucify him, to pin him down for something. So in that crowd, there was a mixture of people that hated him. There was a mixture of people that adored him as well. They adored him. Yes, they loved Jesus, but it was more for what that he could do for them. They, they, it was kind of like, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me but you require something of me? Uh, no thanks. Only so long as they could get something from him. They adored him. But then there were those in the crowd that also followed him. They genuinely wanted to give their lives to him. He was not just the savior of their life, but was also the Lord. 
And so they, they willingly were honestly wanting to seek what he had to say. And so the parables, what they did is they put the responsibility directly on the listener, on the hearer, on the heart of the hearer, for how they received it, for how they responded to the parable. If you heard it, but you didn't really want to hear it, you won't. He wouldn't force it on you. In fact, look at verse 12. He says, everything is in parables. Why? He says, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And you might hear that and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what's he saying here? I thought the whole point of Jesus' ministry was that people would be forgiven. Wasn't that why Jesus came? That people could be reconciled, that their relationship with God the Father could be made right again through Jesus' forgiveness? And here he's saying, yeah, I, don't, I, I teach this way so that, so that some people won't be forgiven. What? I mean, how do you find that a little bit strange? That's why Jesus came, that we could be forgiven, yes. But he came to forgive those that truly wanted to be forgiven. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a difference there. You see, Jesus didn't speak in parables to confuse people or to confound them or even to condemn people. He spoke in parables to reveal the true condition of a person's heart. If you really wanted to know, if you really honestly wanted to know the truth, you could. In fact, the use of parables, it really speaks, I believe, of the choice that God gives us to follow him. Think about, for example, somebody like Hitler. Hitler was one of the most gifted communicators and gifted orators of our time. I've actually seen video footage of him. I've read things about him that he would actually practice over and over and over again, communicating things. He would practice even in front of the, uh, in front of the mirror to, to, to get the, the, the right facial expressions and to get the right gestures moving so that he could have a greater impact. He would practice his tone, his intonation of how he said words. A powerful, powerful communicator. So powerful, we know this, that a, 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 a party in the government that only held 3% of the common vote was the party that Hitler was a part of, within a few years, took the majority of the vote in Germany because of his gifted oration, the ability of him to be able to, to take a crowd wherever he wanted to go because of his words, because of the way he could speak. And if you see, I've watched video footage of it. It's, it's, it's horrendous and heinous what he was able to do with his words, how he could communicate and stir up a crowd to do the most horrible things. Think about him. Now think about Jesus, the creator of all things. Jesus who actually spoke this world into existence. Do you not think that he could have spoken or taught in such a way as that nobody would doubt? Nobody would even resist him? I think so. I think if Hitler could do what he could do sweeping the masses, of course Jesus could do the same. I think he could have had, in a sense, a forced forgiveness on people's lives. That people would be like, well, I, ha I have to now. I have to, right? He could force them into it. His listeners essentially having no choice. He, could have, he probably could have talked people into decisions. But he gave, and you know what? He still gives a choice. And through the parables, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I speak in parables so that those that don't want to see, those that don't want to hear, they won't. But I speak in parables also so those that do want to see, that do genuinely want to hear, will. They will. And so I want you to know this morning, before we move on, that you don't have to be an outsider. You don't have to feel like you're missing out. If you want to hear, if you genuinely want to know the truth, you can. You can. In fact, Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us this. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You really want to know? Deep down you want to know? You will know. You will know. If you genuine, genuinely want to know the truth of God, he lets you in. 
And, and James 4, you know, one of my favorite verses, I love to use this verse, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I always give that kind of picture where it's like God's just waiting for us, just, just waiting. I had the idea even this week of it's kind of like, how many of you are dog owners? Any of you own a dog? Do you have a dog that just stares at you? Most dogs, just, they, they, just, they just kind of stare at you, right? My dog will st- just stare, and it's like, and, and sometimes I'm honestly like, don't make eye contact. Like, if it's in the morning, it's like, I, oh, I don't want to have to let her outside or do this or go get her. You know, it's like, don't make eye contact. Because as soon as you make eye contact, they're just watching you. As soon as you make eye contact, they're like, right? They're ready for you. You know, and it's like, oh, not now. And in some ways, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but, but God, is, in a sense, is, is like that, where he's just waiting for you to make eye contact with him. That's his heart. As soon as you look, draw near to him, he says, and I will draw near to you. You just take one look at him and he's like all over you, all over you, just like a a dog that just loves to be with you. In the same way, God is like that. And the question is really this. comes down to this simple question. How is your heart? Because if you honestly want to see, if you honestly want to hear, you can. It's totally up to you. It's up to you in the soil condition of your heart. As we see, finally, a parable explained. Look at verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now commentators differ a little bit on how this parable kind of unlocks all of them. Jesus says, if you don't understand this one, you won't understand all of them. Uh, One of the key things is we're gonna see some of the symbols that are used in this parable. We'll see them in later parables as well. So that's a key thing that's important to know, such as that we're gonna find out that the seed is not just a seed that grows corn, but it actually represents the word of God. He's gonna explain that for us. That's a key that unlocks the other parables. Another key though is simply this that we're gonna see is that the condition of our heart, this is what we must understand, the simplest form of this parable, the condition of our heart unlocks everything that we will receive from Christ. All of his teaching, all of his instruction to us, his word, this is a key here, is how is the soil of your heart? Because that condition will determine how you receive what he wants to do in your life. As we saw already in reading the parable, we saw that there are four types of soil, right? We saw that. How many of you have actually heard this parable before? Put up your hand if you're familiar with this parable. Put up your hand nice and high. Come on, I know a bunch of you are just lying because, put put up your hand if you've heard this parable before. (laughs) Right, the majority of us in this room have all heard this parable. It's a common parable. We've heard it before and we kind of go, oh yeah, I've heard this before. I'm glad that I'm the good soil. I'm so thankful that my heart's a good soil heart. And we kind of disregard all the other soils that are mentioned here. But here's the thing. Don't think of it as like an us and them kind of parable, which we tend to do. That it's kind of like, you know, number four soil, that's the Christian. That's the good soil. One, two, and three soil, those are the non-believers. Those are the people that don't have their faith in Christ. They don't have good soil. Because if, if we're honest, I think every soil condition can be represented by our hearts at times. So it's not an us and them thing. I think this is a huge, Jesus is saying this is an all the time thing. How is the soil of your heart? Christian, how is the soil of your heart today? So with that in mind, Jesus begins in verse 14 to explain the parable. The sower sows the word. So again, I already mentioned this. This is a key that does unlock this parable and the others. That the word, that, sorry, that the seed is the word. That's what it relates to. He tells us very directly, the seed throughout the parable is the word of God. Which is important because if you had never heard this parable before, if you, or if you had never heard the explanation of the parable before, you might think that this parable represents all kinds of things. For instance, if you were there that day on the shore 
and you didn't later in the day go and gather around Jesus to hear the explanation of the parable, and you heard him teach that parable, you might think that it was something entirely different. Maybe you're a farmer and you're standing on the shore and you hear him teach about the seed that gets sown and, and three quarters of that seed is wasted and only one quarter of it falls on soil that, that produces life. A farmer might go, oh, this is a really good teaching. I need to be more careful with how I scatter my seed. I'm wasting three quarters of my seed. That's a good word. Thank you, Jesus. Do you see that? Unless you have the key that unlocks that this, the seed is not just any seed, but it's the word of God. There might be a politician in the crowd that day. And the politician might hear that parable and go, hmm, this is good. This is really good information. You know what? I need to start an education program for farmers to help them better utilize their seed. They're wasting three quarters of their seed. I'm going to start a program that will teach them how to better scatter their seed. This is going to help me big time in my re-election campaign. Thank you, Jesus. That was a good teaching. Right? You, you, it could be okay. Or even maybe there's a salesman, a farm supply out there. And he's thinking, he hears and he goes, Oh, this is perfect opportunity for me to start selling my fertilizer. They're not getting a good turnover rate. They're, they're, they're not bearing much fruit. Oh, this is excellent. They're struggling. Farmers, you need some of my fertilizer. Thank you, Jesus. Good word. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? You th this is the dynamic of parables. When you understand it, the key to it, it opens up a, a, a new way of illustrating God's truth. But if you don't understand it, then you, well, you just don't understand it. It's just kind of a nice story. Nice kind of like Aesop's fable kind of thing. I like what Sandy Adams points out. He says, notice, the seed is God's word. The kingdom of God doesn't begin with a war, but a word. These are kingdom parables that Jesus is teaching. And this is an important point. It's not a war. He's not gonna, he goes on to say this. He says, God, this was so foreign to the Jews because they believed the kingdom of God would come forcibly, that God would impose his will. But Jesus says the kingdom can be resisted. It comes as a word that can be accepted or rejected. And where does a seed do its work? Underground. It works below the surface of what's seen. It spreads as it's planted in the soil of our hearts. That's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing to understand. And that's, the, the, the kingdom works in a different way. It's so important what Jesus is teaching here. It's, God wasn't going to set up his kingdom and bang. Every, that's what they thought. Everyone's going to have to bow the knee. That will happen, but not yet. He began instead with a war. He began with a word with a seed that would be planted. And so the important question of this when it comes to the kingdom of God, what is the soil of my heart like? What's the dirt on you? What's the dirt on you today? You know, I used to think that dirt was dirt. Dirt's dirt. Who cares? Until I built two homes. The first home we built in Crofton, I had never actually really built a full home. And we have the excavator there. I'd done some stuff. And he's digging out all the dirt and and, and I'm looking, I'm like, wow, okay, you know, and he's, you, you dig a big hole and then you put your forms and your walls and then you have to fill that back in, right? You can't pour concrete all that deep down and so you got to fill it all up so that you can put a, a layer of about four inches of concrete roughly for your, for your, for your, uh, for your slab. Well, we're taking all this dirt out and he's putting it all on the sides and, I, and, and he's saying, oh yeah, that's no good, that's no good. We're gonna have to, and I'm like, what do you mean? Oh yeah, well, we got to chuck that. You can't put that back in the house. I'm like, I, I didn't really know this. You can not put just the dirt back in it, 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 if you just put dirt underneath and then put your concrete slab on top of that dirt, it's just going to continue to sink and sink and sink. You have to have special dirt. It's not technically dirt. It's, it's called pit run. It's like this like free draining. It's like gravel in a sense. So we trucked out all this dirt to bring in all this other dirt. Thousands and thousands of dollars later, I'm like, okay, dirt is not dirt, <laughs> right? And if you've done any gardening, you know that. You know that there's good dirt and there's bad dirt, right? 
if you've done any gardening. And so Jesus is going to talk about the dirt on us, the dirt of our lives. And the first dirt Jesus points out is a hard soil or a hard heart. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path. So now he begins to explain the parable that he already told us, where the word is sown. When they hear Satan, which is important because that's another key, because remember, who, who, who was Satan in, in the early part of the parable? Do you remember? Verse 4, he spoke about something that came along. Birds. And now he says, well, those birds represent Satan. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. That's a key that he unlocks it with. He says these birds come and immediately, uh, or Satan comes rather, immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So this is the hard path. Think about it. Think about a path. Even today, this would be the same, but even in Jesus' day, more so, all these feet walking over this path. And what begins to happen to that path over time as, as feet and wagon wheels and animals travel on that path? What happens to it? It gets hard. So hard, in fact, that it's impenetrable. So beaten down that seed that gets dropped on it isn't going to do a thing. It won't go anywhere, right? It just sits on the top and the birds can come and steal what was sown. And he's saying your heart the path to your heart can become hard. It can become beaten down. Various reasons. He doesn't explain all the different reasons, but we know why. Some of you have maybe experienced some of that in your own heart. Maybe, maybe your hopes and your dreams were crushed. You felt so let down that it, it, your heart be, began to harden towards the things that God would have for you. Maybe, maybe God did something and you thought he should have done something else. And you begin to resist what he wants to do in your life. No, God, I don't want that anymore. You should have done this instead of that. Why did they die? Why, right? And our heart begins to get hard. We continually resist what he wants to do. Sometimes it's just difficulties in life. Sometimes it's pride. I'm, I don't need that God. I don't, I'm good enough. Maybe it's just sin. Maybe it's just negativity, being pessimistic all the time. There's all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's just resisting the idea of faith that just makes no sense. I mean, especially in our day and age with modern science. I, the other week, last week, I was out surfing with my brother out at Sombrio. And um, we came up from the waves we were going, we had to leave. And there was a guy that we had seen in the water with us, but he'd only caught like one wave and then he went right back in. And we're like, oh, okay. And he, he was asking various people, he said, oh, do you have a leash I could borrow? I forgot my leash. So you have a leash that you attach to your leg and then to the other end goes to your surfboard. So if you wipe out or fall or whatever, your board won't go away on you and get lost and you'll be stuck without your surfboard. And, 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 and he's got a heavy accent. And so... Um, I start, I say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I got an extra leash. Are you coming back through? I said, I live in Duncan, though. He's like, oh, I'm going to the ferry in Victoria. He's from Vancouver. Heavy accent. And I said, well, my brother lives just off. And oh, he said, I can drop it on my way. I'm going today. I said, for sure. Like, all the, come all this way and you can't go surfing because you forgot a leash. As I'm talking to him, I said, oh, you got a, quite the accent. You know, where are you from? He says, oh, I'm from Israel. I said, oh, are you Jewish? He goes, yeah. And, and my brother goes, are you a Messianic Jew? And he goes, huh? Are you a Messianic Jew? What? And I'm, I'm totally seeing this. I'm like, okay, no. I'm like, oh, um, what, what he means is, are you a Jew that believes that Jesus is the Messiah? Oh, no. He goes, I believe in science. Not a word of a lie. If you've ever seen Nacho Libre, it was just like it. And he actually said that. I started laughing. But, but that's the reality is that sometimes, sometimes it's just the idea of faith. He was like, no, I don't believe in that God stuff. I believe in science, <laughs> right? Faith makes no sense, right? And you know, and your heart can become hard, resistant towards God. I think one of the most common ways, though, that our hearts become hard is just from the busyness of life. 
We just have no time for the word of God to sink into our heart. We don't. You know, I, I love what Corey Ten Boom once said. She said, you know, if the, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. It's pretty true. You know what, listen, the, the bottom line is this. There's so many ways that our heart can become hard towards the word of God. So I just want to simply ask you this. Is your heart hard? Is your heart hard? How is the soil of your heart today towards God's word? When God's seed falls, is it easy to dismiss it in your life and just say, no, no, I'm not doing that? And is it easy for the birds, for, for Satan's workers of skepticism and cynicism to just come along and take that seed and steal it away and eat it up? Is your heart, is it hard? You know, there's a cure for the hard heart. Jeremiah 4.3 tells us this. It says, plow up the hard ground of your hearts. You gotta just plow it up. Prepare the soil of your heart. If you know there's an area in your life that has issues, then you need to deal with it. You ask God for help. I, I liken it sometimes to the Holy Spirit rototiller. You guys ever used a rototiller? It's got like the big blades. And you know, I remember my dad, when I was a kid, I'd watch him in our garden oftentimes, and he'd go with the rototiller. And he'd walk through, and it would, it would rototill. It would break up the hard ground so that it could receive again the seeds for our planting that year. The Holy Spirit can do the same thing. He can dig up the hardness that has come over our heart. Sometimes you just need to do that. Say, Lord, speak to me. Show me. And just be honest. God, help me. I understand that there's a hardness. There's a resistance in my life towards your word. Please, I want it to be soft. I want it to be able to hear your voice. And he'll work it. Well, the second type of soil or heart, Jesus says, is a shallow soil or a shallow heart. Look at verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Verse five added um, where it did not have much soil. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises, which was the hot sun in verse six, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You see, a shallow layer of soil over like a, a rock shelf would, would cause seed to spring up very quick because that, that rock could be quite warm. If it's just like a little, little like half inch or inch of soil, it could be warm underneath that and would, the seed would quickly come to life. And Jesus likens this to people that, that hear the word and are excited. This is just what I needed to hear. Oh, this is awesome. This Jesus thing is so great. This is, this is precisely what I needed. I'm in. Pay for my sins, a ticket to heaven. Yeah, sign me up. And there's a joy and an exuberance that comes. The problem here isn't the sudden growth. Let me be clear about that. It's not that all of a sudden the seeds quickly sprung to life. That's not the problem. I mean, I love seeing, how many of you love that? When somebody first comes to Christ and there's a joy and there's an excitement and they're just on fire for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, they show us up if we've been a Christian for a long time and we're just kind of, right? Like we should be full of joy. This is Jesus that we're living for. So the problem wasn't that. It was not, the problem wasn't the sudden growth. The problem also wasn't the sun. We would think it's the sun, but it's not the sun, right? The, the trials and the difficulties that came from following God. That comes to everybody. That wasn't the problem. In fact, Jesus promised us in this world, you're gonna have troubles, trials, tribulations. It's a promise. And the fact is that the trials often, they should actually help us to dig deeper into Jesus. That's what it should do. It, it, if our roots are in him, it actually will draw us closer to Christ. So the, the problem wasn't the sudden growth. The problem wasn't the sun. The problem was simply this. It was a lack of depth. It was a lack of depth. There wasn't enough soil. Look at what verse 17 said. It said there was no root in themselves. Interesting that it says it that way. There was no root in themselves. 
a shallow root system. No, no root in themselves. Maybe their faith was built upon their parents' faith. Maybe their faith was built upon their boyfriend's faith or their girlfriend's faith or some, some emotional experience. Ultimately, there's no deep-rooted personal relationship with Jesus Christ that is found in them. You know, a number of years ago, I planted my first garden, just about my last because I'm so horrible at it. I still have stuff in my garden, a bunch of fruit trees and other things that really don't do much of anything. But um, I planted my first garden, and I had a couple raised garden beds. And I planted all them. I planted beans and carrots and some spinach and lettuce, all kinds of things in that. And I, and I picked the, the, the garden bed that would get the most sun, and I put a bunch of lettuce in the front. And, um, and I noticed, I planted it a little bit late also as well. It was like, like kind of like, I think mid-June perhaps. So it was kind of late into the year. It was getting pretty warm. And I was like, my lettuce is already growing. I was like, I'm, I, I was like this gardening thing's simple. I'm like, I, I need to start teaching classes. And so uh, anyway, I noticed though fairly quickly, we, we pulled off and, I, and I'd grow the lettuce and I'd just take off bits and pieces of it and we'd eat that. And, and I noticed kind of suddenly, what do you, when you go to the store, what do you usually buy? You buy, when you call it lettuce, it's a, yeah, I noticed that my heads of lettuce weren't looking so much like heads of lettuce. They were looking more like, I have a picture here, this isn't my actual lettuce, but they were looking more like trees or shrubs of lettuce. Like, we're t- like they were getting up to, and I'm like, and they started tasted kind of bitter and horrible, like it wasn't very good. And I found out what had happened is that it was too hot. The heat caused them to bolt, is what it's called, right? And, and they started to go to seed, and, and, and my heads of lettuce that were now trees of lettuce or shred, shrubs of lettuce were useless. They bolted. The spinach, on the other hand, that I planted right beside it didn't do a thing. It didn't even grow, didn't sprout, didn't do nothing. Until like eight months later in February, I'm like, what on earth is in my garden? And I go up there and I got a bunch of spinach growing. You see, the, all the sun did was exposed the weakness of the lettuce. Actually, if I should really be more truthful, it exposed the weakness of the gardener. My gardening skills were horrible. I didn't know what I was doing. That's what it exposed. And here's the thing, though. You become a Christian and guess what's going to happen? This might surprise you, but the world is going to start treating you like a Christian. Did you know that? You become a Christian, you're going to start being treated like one. And when troubles and persecutions come on account of the word of God, on the account of following Jesus, what do you do? Do you just bolt like the lettuce did? Right? I'm out of here. Right? And just, I'm out of here. You just bail? Or, or if you have to deal with sin, or if you have to deal with hard, difficult things in your life, sometimes it's easier just to leave. We have it. Basically, you know, you'll call people out sometimes and they just leave the church. Easier just to go elsewhere. They bolt. They bail. And that's the thing. You see, if there's good soil, a good heart, when trials come, our faith doesn't disappear. It should grow stronger and deeper. And you need to know this today that, listen, it's always worth it to follow Jesus. Jesus is is always worth following, but it's not always easy. I need to be clear. Don't ever let some church or pastor teach you that following Jesus is going to be simple, easy pie in the sky. It's going to be one of the hardest things that you do. It's not an easy thing, but it's the best thing. Well, the cure for a shallow heart, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 tells us this. It says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. This is critical. As you accepted Christ, continue. The same way you started, keep going with it. How did you accept Christ? Was, was it because of your good works? Because you were so good looking? Jesus said, I'm gonna save that one. How did you, how are you saved? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, not by works that no one can boast, the gift of God. And as you started, you need to continue. He says, continue to make it about grace and faith. 
Then he goes on to say this. He says, let your roots grow down into him. Who's him? Jesus. And let your lives be built on him, Jesus. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Roots need to go deep down into one thing. Not a church, not a pastor or a leader, not a spouse, but Jesus. Your roots need to go deep into Jesus. When I meet with people for counseling, sometimes I hate to simplify it so much, but I just have to. I, say, I, the only, I can only tell you this one thing. The problem is that you have a Jesus deficiency. You need more vitamin J in your life. <laughs> That's honestly how it works. That's what it boils down to. This is what he were told here. Paul says, go deeper in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You start with Jesus. You continue with Jesus. You go deep into him. Make it about him. Well, the third soil that Jesus mentions is the choked soil or the choked heart. Look at verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is probably the most descriptive, I think, soil of our day and age. And I don't mean just for non-Christians, but I think especially for Christians. I'm talking about probably Peter's most common soil condition is this one here. This is the heart that begins in Christ, maybe even grows rapidly, does really well for a lot of years, probably even thinks that they're doing really well. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the faith, choke out the word in our lives. Deceitfulness of riches. You know that. You know that riches will deceive you. Right? It promises so much and it never delivers. We watched yesterday um, at our house, we watched the third Hobbit. Um, what's it, the five, Battle of the Five Armies or something? I don't know, it just goes on forever and ever. But I thought they did so, such a great job. I mean, Tolkien, who wrote it, obviously, just in depicting how that, that mountain with all the riches, all the gold in it, how it made him sick. The, the, the dwarf king, King Thorin became mentally sick, could not see because of the riches and the wealth. It totally changed his brain. He got brainwashed in a sense. And, and I thought, what a picture of, of what riches can do to us. The deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world can choke out what God wants to do. And it might not look like we've abandoned our faith, but the reality is, is, is your faith fruitful? Is it fruitful? Is it being choked out? You know how choking works. Choking's horrible. Choking, choking is gradual. It's not like if I were to go up and just put my hands around your neck and choke you, it's not like, like you're done. Like, right? It takes time, doesn't it? It takes time as someone gets choked. It's a gradual, gradual, slow process. And in the same way, that's what kind of can happen in our lives. Slowly this world and this life, the riches of this life begin to become a greater priority than God's word. It's not that riches are are good or evil. They're amoral. It's what it can do to our heart if we don't guard our hearts. And our desire can grow more for that than it can for God's word. And gradually, gradually we maybe don't pick up our Bible. Gradually we stop praying. Gradually we just don't care about anybody else but ourselves. Right? Do you see that? The choking that's going on. And God's word, oh, it's there, you'd say. Oh yeah, I attend church. I go to church still. I hear the word of God, but that's Sundays and then it gets choked out six days of the week. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no fruit. You know, if we're honest, we really don't look like Jesus. Well, you, you know what the cure is for a choked soil? You gotta do some weeding. You gotta do some weeding. We're gonna do some weeding in January. January, every January we do this. We've done this for like 13, 12 or 13 years now. 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
It's an excellent way to weed in your life. As you say no to the things of this world by fasting, denying your flesh, and you say yes to the things of God. You unplug from this world and you plug back into God. And it's such a powerful tool. Fasting is probably one of the most powerful spiritual disciplines that the vast majority of the church has not unlocked. Powerful, powerful tool to draw us closer to Christ. A great way to weed. But also, I would say this. Start, just start by prioritizing and focusing on Jesus. That he is enough. That, that he is more than the world could ever give you. He's more than enough. Matthew 6, 24 to 25 tells us this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. They'll be in competition. They'll try to choke each other out. Therefore, verse 25, this is the remedy. This is the cure. I tell you this. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more, important, more than food and the body more than clothes? And then what does he go on? He goes on to talk about the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And he talks about the, the lilies of the field and how they're clothed. He says, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Here, he says, this is what you got to do. What are we to do? Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Who is on the throne of your heart? Who's on the throne that, that sits on the soil of your heart? There can only, there's only room for one. Is it Jesus? Well, the final soil that Jesus talks about is the good soil, the good heart. Look at verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The good soil, the good heart, it hears the word, it accepts the word, and what happens? It produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is total transformation is what the picture is here. A life that totally looks different. Ultimately, one that looks more like Jesus. That's what fruit is. Think about it. A fruit just simply looks like what it's connected to. If you have an apple tree, it's going to produce apples. If you have an orange tree, it's going to produce, you have a grapevine, you're going to get grapes. And the same way, what you are connected to, right, is going to produce the fruit of your life. So if you're connected to a Jesus tree, you're going to look like Jesus. You're going to have Jesus fruit. That's what's going to, and the Bible speaks about Jesus fruit. It's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of his spirit. Is that in your life? I just want to ask you that. Do you have, there's love and there's joy and there's peace. There's pain. Do, you, do you have love? Do you have love or do you just not really care about others? Do you have joy or are you always just kind of down and sad? Do you have peace? Or is there an anxiety and a worry that, that characterizes your life? What about patience? Another fruit of the spirit. Or are you kind of short-tempered and just lose it sometimes? Is there kindness or, or are you depicted more as a jerk? Is there goodness in your life? I mean, when was the last time you did something good for somebody else? Is there faithfulness? Does, is your word gold? Is, are you dependable? Is there gentleness? Or, or is there a harshness to the way that you speak and deal with other people? What about the fruit of the Spirit? What about self-control? Are you able to say no? No to the things that will not benefit your life or make you more like Christ? You know, as we close, as we transition to communion this morning, if the fruit of the Spirit is not evidenced in your life, there, there's, there's really one reason why. There's a soil problem. There's a soil problem. The seed of God's word can't bear fruit in your life. And so maybe there's a hardness or a shallowness to your soil, or maybe it's choked out by the world and, and by wealth. As we prepare our hearts for communion, you know, I, I love what this table here represents, that no matter the condition of your heart, Jesus invites you to come. 
He invites you to come this morning to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness. Communion, this, this word communion, which comes from the word common. Common, we all have this in common. We all need transformation. We all need our soil worked on. And I want us just even right now, just all of us in this room, just to close our eyes. I wanna, I wanna read a psalm as the worship team comes up. And those that are gonna serve communion wanna just come up as well to the sides. I'll serve them in a moment. Psalm 139. Verse 23 to 24 says, search me. Let's just close our eyes and just allow this right now to take place. As we think about the soil condition of our hearts, we say, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Lord, this morning, search. Search our hearts. Search our ways, God. Maybe you're here this morning and the seed of, of the word of God has been resisted in your life. Christ wants to say, come, come, receive. I want to deal with that hardness of that heart. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and the, the seed of, of God's word, there's no roots and there's just a shallowness. Christ says, come. Come. Come, or maybe you're here and the seed of God's word just gets choked out week after week after week. Christ says, come. Come, the invitation is for all who are here. Maybe you've never even put your faith in Jesus. Maybe that seed has never actually penetrated into the soil of your heart. You've never actually taken that step to say, I wanna put my faith in you, Jesus. I wanna put my faith in the work that you did, represented here in this bread and this juice then maybe today you say, I'm gonna take that step of faith. I'm gonna take that step of faith and I'm gonna put my trust in him and I'm gonna show that step of faith by coming and receiving communion today. And so this morning, Jesus, search our hearts. As the team begins to sing and to lead us, Lord, may you speak to us, God, about the soil type of heart we have right now. Help us, God. Help us, Lord. We want to have good soil. We want your word to bear great fruit in our lives. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or Find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.